Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Benjamin Carlton. He's black. He's a minister. He's gay. He's from Philly. My boy, uh, I've been watching your interviews, Benjamin, and you speak with such enthusiasm and vigor. I want to know, like, where did you get this passion to communicate the way you do from? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for that amazing introduction um, and for having me on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Um, my passion uh, for speaking started um, and I actually share um, I actually share a part of this story in my book. Um, I was watching. Uh, well, two things. I was watching television one night and I think uh, Hanging with Mr. Cooper was on. And they interrupted hanging with Mr. Cooper. And all of a sudden there's a, a bunch of, you know, old white people in suits in this big, you know, auditorium, you know, clapping and talking and in walks this man. Um, and everybody stands to their feet and they're clapping. And as he's giving his speech, you know, they're clapping. And I was like, who is that? I asked my mom, who was that? And my mom said, well, that's uh, President George Bush. And so um, from then I wanted to be able to do that to rooms. Um, and to feel that type of energy. And so, you know how people would play house or hospital or something when they were kids? I would want to play church. I didn't come from a religious family. You know, we didn't go to church every Sunday until I became a teenager. And that was my decision. Um, but I would gather my friends in the backyard, make a pulpit out of a stack of, you know, those crates. See, they didn't know nothing about the crate challenge then. I was making crate uh, podiums. Um, when I was a kid and I would pull this old Bible out that belonged, uh, I forget who it belonged to. And I would just preach to my friends in the backyard. Um, so I've been this way since I was in the first grade. All right. Hold up, man. You a kid. What you preaching to your friends in the backyard about? <laughs> like, like what, what, like what's weighing so heavy on a nine year old that like you got to bring in the masses and then they got to be saved. Like, what are they doing? That you're like, we, we, we need a healing to take place right now. You need Jesus. Um, I always was a, uh, a wanderer. Um, not a wanderer, but a wanderer. I just always wondered, like, what is in outer space? Um, you know, where did we come from? Why are we here? What is the point of humanity? What is the point of Earth? What is the end goal of Earth? Like, you, you know, we, we're, we're stuck in this, you know, orbit. Um, and, you know, what is our ultimate purpose? And though some of us may look like monkeys, I never believed that we came from monkeys. Um, I believe that, you know, that there was some supreme higher power, higher being, even as a child. And so I wouldn't preach about an issue specifically. I would just talk about God and how great God was um, and how God made the trees and the birds and the bees and, you know, how God was loving and kind. I have been preaching love since I was a kid. I guess that was the overall message. Let's love one another. Um, and mainly because, wow, I've never thought about it until you just asked it. This is crazy. Because I was discriminated against at a very early age, you know, I received homophobia or experienced homophobia from my black community before I experienced racism from a white community. And I was resilient in that. Although I hurt 
very deeply, I didn't want anyone else to experience that hurt. So I tried my best to be loved, to be kind, and to be nice to people and to make people laugh. And so ever since I was a kid, I preached goodness, I preached love, and I preached treating people right. Wow. I never realized that correlation until just now. Uh, so many things are coming up right now. One is there are listeners right now who are, you know, I'm 45 and I'm still trying to piece together like what I want my life to be about. And there are other people out there who, who are struggling with the same thing. And one of the things I want to highlight is that from your childhood, you were making podiums out of crates. So early on, you know, that was an indication of what you would later on uh, become and want to do in your life. And I've read so many times that if you really want to know what your life should be about, look at what you were doing when you were nine years old. There, there were indicators, there were keys, there were things that you were naturally drawn to before the world really started telling you what you should do and what you should be that could clue you in as to what your life's purpose uh, should be about. Did you did you never deviate from that? Have, have you never had any uh, doubts about what you're here to do? Never had any doubts. Um, just wasn't sure about the path. Uh, my eyes have always been on the prize of being light and love. Uh, my theme, my uh, brand, who I am is uh, lead with laughter and close with love. Um, I just didn't know how I'd get there. <laughs> uh, I thought, you know, okay, politics, I'm going to be a politician. I'm going to be a city councilman. I'm going to be the mayor. And that is how it will bring love and light to communities. Um, I thought, okay, once I was in ministry, okay, I'm going to become a pastor. I'm going to, you know, pastor a church and travel the world. And that will be my path. Uh, I had no idea that I would come out of the closet <laughs> and be a gay affirming uh, uh, black preacher. Um, and I realized that, you know, my life and my purpose have always been aligned and that, you know, the universe and God has always had me on the path to be love and light. In every space that I am in, I am love and light. Um, and, and that is no exaggeration. The testimonies come from people um, especially when I have to depart from that space, um, because I bring an element that is unique to myself. And so, uh, never had any doubts, just didn't know the path. And I'm so glad that I didn't know the path because I probably would have ruined it <laughs> because I am a perfectionist. I want every, you know, I dotted every T crossed. And if I knew that I'd end up here, I would have probably came out way too soon and not understood everything that I needed to in order to be equipped to lead in this journey. Um, because I used to be, unfortunately, a condemner of the LGBTQ community. Um, and there's a whole litany of, of, of reasons why. Um, one, I had no love for myself. Uh, people would tell me, you know, uh, man up, you know, stop being a sissy, stop being queer, you know, uh, 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 you know, Boys don't do that. And so I spent my whole life trying to figure out, well, what the heck do boys do? Because clearly I'm not doing it right. And so I didn't have any love for myself. And that that internal uh, void of love turned into judgment. 
And so, and, and I focused on my villain so much that I became one. And um, I, you know, spent years and years condemning homosexuality, telling homosexuals they're going to hell. Meanwhile, you know, I'm a closet homosexual and I'm able to stand so powerfully now in this space of leading people on a journey of enlightenment and equity and love because I have the experience of being void of love. And so I can help folks, you know, I don't believe most people are inherently racist. I don't believe most people are inherently homophobic. You know, people believe uh, what they believe for two reasons. One, because of narrative and the stories that are told and constantly told the story that you tell become the life that you live. And then two, we're tribal in nature as human beings. We cling to the people that are like us and anybody that's not, not we demonize, we stigmatize and we other them, we fear them. And so if that can be learned, it can be unlearned. If it can be taught, it can be untaught. And I have the experiences of both sides and I'm able to walk people on a journey of one, accepting and loving themselves more fully and accepting and loving others who are different from them. Man, one thing I really want to highlight, first of all, I, I hear the preaching in your voice. If it could be learned, it could be unlearned. If it could be taught, it could be. I, I love all of it. Um, you talked about you're, you're, you're glad you didn't know the path because you would have come out too soon. And I want to highlight that because a lot of people, I mean, including myself, a lot of us, we regret not doing things sooner. Man, I should have I should have taken that job sooner. I should have gotten married sooner. I should have had kids sooner. We, we know a, a, hindsight is twenty twenty. We always think we should have done the thing sooner, not recognizing that we weren't equipped to handle it sooner, to, right. to, to deal with it sooner. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, absolutely. There are certain things that are natural to who we are in the universe and natural to who we are as human beings. Can you imagine a newborn baby being born with a full set of human teeth? <laughs> I mean, first of all, they wouldn't be able to close their little mouths. Two, their bodies are not able to digest the food that we eat that is required because of the teeth. And so, uh, yeah, no, that baby should not have a full set of teeth <laughs> as soon as they're born. And there are certain things that we have to wait for. We are a part of the microwave generation, right? We can get to, you know, well, before they got rid of this jet plane that could get you from, you know, London to New York in just a matter of hours. Um, uh, where before it would take years to get to that part of the world if you were traveling from New York. <laughs> and so because we are part of this microwave generation, we don't have patience, we don't appreciate the process um, you know, uh, we want everything so quickly. There are certain things that the flavor and taste, and this is for all the cooks out there that know, that only come through time, that only come through slow cooking. And then some food, uh, the leftovers taste better than the original because the food had time to sit, the flavor had time to sit. And so there are certain things in our lives um, that are inaccessible because we are not prepared and we are not ready for it. We don't have all the ingredients yet. We try to make cakes with just one of the ingredients. We look at the box, we see the picture, but we don't have the eggs, oil, or the milk, but we're ready to go. 
And the more and more, you know, we can take time to appreciate our life lessons and appreciate the things that contribute to where we are today and let go of what I could have, should have did, the better off that we'll be. Most people, most people spend their current time living in the past time. So they are literally wasting the present time that they have thinking about the past time. And I'm actually preaching to myself right now um, because I need to let some things go that I'm constantly thinking about. But if I waste my today on the things that I cannot change, I will, you know, be better off. Um, so yeah, no, people, people need to appreciate the process and understand that just because you might want it don't mean you're ready for it. I wasn't ready to come out years ago. I didn't have the, uh, the, 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 the level of, um, uh, access to knowledge. Um, I didn't have the level of capacity and understanding of other people's journeys. For instance, when I came out, um, five, six years ago, I still had, um, issues and phobias with the transgender community, drag queens, cross-dressers, feminine men. Um, you know, I spent most of my years as I was out being the conservative gay, the acceptable gay. And it wasn't until I said, Ben, you cannot be walking around here talking about you gay and have problems with feminine men or have problems with the transgender community and drag queens, et cetera. I had to face my bias and I volunteered at TransCon, um, which is a, a conference put on by Aqua Foundation for Women that brings people in the transgender community together. I met parents who had transitioned their teens. I became friends with a wonderful, wonderful people in the transgender community. But I didn't have that experience early in my life, and nor did I have the courage and willpower to go and volunteer at a transgender conference earlier in my life. So I think there are certain things uh, that can only be accessible based on the experience that are experiences rather that are forthcoming um, and not anything that you currently already uh, experience. Well, part of your experiences, as you mentioned earlier, was the discrimination you you experienced that came from black people, you know, and you said before you even experienced any type of racism from white people. Did did your family was your family included uh, in, in the, the group of people who were discriminating against you? And how did you navigate your way through that? Were they included? <laughs> they were number one. <laughs> They were the black people I was talking about, um, you know, and, and I don't as as again, like I said, there are certain things that that, um, you know, you can only experience based on time. And early on, I did not have the grace and space to understand their journey. I did not have the capacity or the uh, the um, agency to process their journeys. Um, and why they believe what they believe and why they did what they did and why they said what they said. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, uh, one of the first experiences of a public, um, uh, I guess, uh, bad experience. I was at basketball camp with, uh, my cousin's dad and I could not get the ball in the I was short when I was a kid. I'm six feet now, but I was short with a big head. My head led, led the way. And um, I couldn't get the ball in the hoop. And I got mad and I was sad. And the coach said, what are you, a girl? What are you, a sissy? Stop acting like a girl. Man up. 
And everybody looked at me and some of the other kids laughed. And in my head, I said, well, am I a girl? <laughs> like, why can't I do what all the other boys did? I wasn't very athletic at all. And so, you know, those experiences of constantly being told to man up and to stop acting like a girl. All of my friends were girls. My 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 favorite person in the whole world um, are my sisters and my girl cousin. Um, and so I was very feminine as a child. Um, and so, you know, to hear that not only coming from the world, but coming from people that I love was a very, very gruesome journey because while I was experiencing pain and trauma in the world, I had no place to be safe. And that's very dangerous for a child to not feel safe in his parents' home or their parents' home, to not feel safe with loved ones. Um, so when people, and I have no idea why they named a medicine Ben Gay, but that medicine has ruined my life. I'm actually going to write them a letter uh, because, you know, that's what all the kids, oh, Ben Gay, Ben Gay, he's fruity, he's a fag, he's a flame, you know, all of that. You know, he got sugar in his tank and all of that. I couldn't go home and say, mom, the kids are teasing me. I couldn't go home and say they're calling me gay. I couldn't go home and say, you know, they're telling me to act like a man because y'all are doing the same thing here. And so um, navigating that space took a lot of masking where I did a lot to hide who I was and to cope with it, I became the comedian. I became the funny guy. I became the loving guy that people can trust. I became the person that people can turn to because I didn't want others to experience what I experienced. Now, would I go back and change anything? Probably not, because those experiences made me who I am today. Those experiences, I often thought that, you know, being gay was a test from God and God is testing my commitment to, to him and God is testing my commitment to the faith. When in actuality, being gay was my gift. Being queer is the special thing that God gave me uh, to, to enter the world with. And because of that, I'm loving. Because of that, I'm giving. Because of that, I'm not selfish. Because of that, I'm funny. Because all of the, 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 the negativity that came from being who I am produced such a loving, kind, sweet person. Um, and so, and, I'm, and I know this sounds maybe a little narcissistic, how I'm talking about myself. But if you talk to anybody in my space or anybody that I've worked with, this, these are the testimonies that they give. So, but they're not here to testify. So I'll testify for myself. You, you, you said gruesome. I've, I've never heard someone describe a part of their childhood and childhood experiences as, as gruesome. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share that. And you also mentioned how you didn't feel safe at home. You didn't feel safe in the streets, uh, yet at, at a very young age, you're on a podium and you're preaching. Did you feel safe in church? Now, no, but I felt closer to God. Um, now, I don't know what made me think that church would be a saving grace. <laughs> I think it was okay from my little understanding as a child and preaching and then my understanding as a teenager was, okay, God is in church. And so I need to get there to get closer to God. Um, one of my aunts uh, who lived, excuse me, in Miami at the time, I'm from Philly. She was visiting, she was an evangelist. 
and she wanted to go to church. And so my mom called her oldest sister who did go to church and said, hey, uh, you know, my sister-in-law wants to go to church. Uh, can she go with you? And her and her daughters, uh, you know, visited from Miami and they were some praying women. I mean, um, you know, they would wake up early in the morning and be in prayer. And these are kids and, you know, my aunt. And I, I, I wanted that experience as well. So when she went to church, I did. And after my aunt went back to Miami, I still continued to go to church with my eldest aunt on my mom's side. And because my parents got tired of dropping me off, you know, every Sunday, they just started coming too. Next, you know, everybody's coming. And the same things I heard in the world, the same things I heard in church. Um, but because I had adopted the persona that was almost like a chameleon where I became who I needed to be in order to be accepted and loved by that room, I adopted those same narratives. Um, you know, there was a, a, a youth pastor's wife and, and uh, it was after like a, a really, really great service where, you know, uh, we prayed and sung and had good ministry and, you know, kids were, you know, just it was a great youth service. But we were all talking together and she said, yeah, I don't want nobody coming out around me. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> and it's comments like that that, you know, did not make the space safe or jokes about feminine men, or jokes about sissies, or if a feminine identifying man came to the church, the pastor could have been talking about the harvest. He somehow found a way to slip in, you know, homosexuality ain't right. And, you know, man-on-man relationships ain't right. And because I saw how those people were treated, you know, I did not feel safe at all. Wow. And and so you you still found a way to find the to separate uh, the spirituality from uh, the, the, the physicality of the church, of the building and the religion. And you found that that place within yourself did. Were the, was there anybody in your childhood that you did feel uh, connected to uh, that, that you felt like had your back? Um, whether it was an imaginary friend or was it just you and God on his journey for a large part of your childhood? Um, wow. <laughs> now I'm fighting back tears. <laughs> um, so one, my sister right under me, she's two years younger than me. She's my best friend. She was my ride or die. She had my back no matter what. I mean, she jumped in fights that I was in. I mean, she was and is my everything. Um, and she was the first person I text when I decided to come out. And I didn't even say I'm coming out. I said, hey, I'm ready to tell the world who I really am. Um, and she texts back, are you sure? Because once you go down this path, there's no turning back and I don't wanna have to curse anybody out. Now I didn't say I'm gay, I'm coming out. I just said, I'm ready to tell people who I really am. And she automatically knew what I was talking about. We never had a conversation about it before. And so um, another one of my cousins who was also uh, a feminine guy, um, unfortunately he passed away some years ago and he wasn't even supposed to live past the age of like two or three. He had major heart problems, but he ended up living into his early twenties. And we were really, really close um, coming up, uh, mainly I believe because, you know, we, we both identified um, or, or both were feminine. And 
um, there was an instance where we were at a family barbecue and there was a raccoon in the girl's bathroom and we wanted to go in and see it. But of course we couldn't go because of this girl's bathroom. And we joked about, you know, let's dress up as girls and sneak in. And one of my cousins heard and went and told our parents that we were talking about dressing up as ladies. (laughs) And so, you know, I got confronted about it and I of course denied it. No, we didn't do that. Yada, yada, yada. But because I got in trouble for my association with him and my association with, you know, being feminine, I then began to treat him differently. I wouldn't hang around as much. Um, I would join in with the gossiping that other people did. And so, you know, I write about that in my book. And it wasn't until, you know, I was writing the story that I realized, you know, the harm that I did and, and how that was just messed up. And I cried and, and, and I never, you know, was able to talk to him about it. Like I said, he passed away, but I, I prayed and asked, you know, that, that he would forgive me for those, those actions, you know, um, of disassociating because of, you know, uh, critiques about us being feminine, but if he, I felt really comfortable with, and my cousin, um, I mean, my sister Candace, I felt comfortable with, and then my cousin, Tiana, um, who was my best friend, um, she was my ride or die too. So what did that look like for you, the, the coming out? Was it a Zoom meeting? Did, was it a FaceTime group chat? Like, what did you gather everybody in the living room? What, what did that <laughs> send out evites? What did that look like for you? Um, so uh, it was it was a, a whole process. Um, uh, the first thing was I, well, let me take it back and then bring you forward. So in 2012, um, I told my pastor that I was stepping down from ministry. I said, I have gone to senior citizens homes. I have volunteered with the youth. I've cleaned toilets. I sing, I preach, I show up, I plan, I coordinate, I lay hands on the sick and they recover. I go pray for people in the hospital. I go, you know, be with families who've lost loved ones. And all my life, I've been asking God to to take this sin away. And God has not done it. And so I'm done. I'm not doing any more ministry. And he said, well, and I said, I'm not doing anything else until God answers me about me. And he said, well, whatever you do, don't leave God. He said, ask all the questions you want. Just don't leave God. And I said, okay. And so God never verbally answered me. Um, and in three years, didn't hear a thing, but what happened was God began to change my views about homosexuality, about the black queer experience through experiences. God had to, uh, deconstruct what I thought being gay was because what I learned from the church and what I learned from the world is that it's perversion and sex and, you know, freaky people in parades. That's all I knew. Um, But in that time span, in 2013, I co-founded Be Me Community, which is the largest social entrepreneurship network for Black people in America. And we initially started out uplifting the positive stories of Black men around the country to counter the stereotypes and the narratives that were told about Black men. And I met so many powerful, affirming Black queer men who were politicians, faith leaders, advocates. I mean, I had never seen the lights. 
And I begin to see myself in them and see myself in their story, which begin to change my view on what a gay life could look like. Um, I also begin to change views on religion. Um, and, and because I started building a love for myself, I begin to see the love of God for real and stop judging people. And I was at dinner with uh, my staff and my CEO said, uh, we were talking about hell and evil people. And he was like, you know, I never believed in any of that stuff. My grandfather was a minister in um, Michigan and, and all he would preach is, you know, Jesus said, love God and love people and you'll be all right. And that's what he would preach. That small sentence changed my life because that is the scripture that I've adopted for life. And if you focus on those two things, you'll be all right. And so I never thought, okay, this is going to lead me to come out. But when my physical health started to have an impact, um, I began to get very depressed because all of my straight friends were getting married. And if you know anything about male groups, once the men start getting married and having kids, that's the end of that male group. And so everyone would say, you're next, you're next. I'm like, nope, I'm not next. And if I am next, you probably wouldn't come. Um, and so uh, I was a walking depression and my face started changing colors and I was breaking out. My dermatologist said, well, you're really stressed. You need a new job. And I was like, well, I'm not stressed. I don't need a new job. I know what it is. Every day I'm praying for God to take the sin away and he hasn't. And then I'm seeing the light of who I could be, but it's in contrast to what the scripture and the church is telling me. And so I was laying in the bed and it was, this was the first time that God verbally answered me as loud and as clear as I'm speaking to you. The spirit said, get up and be who I called you to be. Whoever is supposed to love you will love you. And whoever doesn't just won't. And I began to weep. And that's when I text my sister, hey, I'm ready to tell the world who I really am. And, you know, I slowly started texting friends and most of them, you know, called me immediately, you know, crying. I'm so happy for you. One friend, he was really upset. He was like, one, I can't believe you would text me this. Two, I can't believe that you wouldn't trust that I would love you no matter what. Um, that really hurts um, because it speaks to what you really think of us and our friendship. He was like, I love you unconditionally. You are my best friend. I cried so heavily just hearing that. And then my pastor, um, when I told him, uh, I cried heavily because he was like, man, I love you first. He said, you are my brother first before anything. He said, don't you ever hide anything from me. I will, you know, and behind you, I support you 100%. Um, and don't hide your life. If you meet somebody, I want to meet him. I want to make sure he's right for you because I know who you are in your heart. And that was the easy part. Um, I then tried it out with my organization. So uh, Be Me, again, awarded Black men around the country. We, at that time, had about two, three, 300 uh, uh, grantees um, and about uh, uh, 150 of us were in D.C. at a conference. And at the end of the conference, we do like a huge circle share where we're sharing our hearts, what we learned, what we walked away with. And I shared my story and told them I was coming out. And there was a line of black men, mostly straight identifying, who were ready to give me a hug and tell me that they love me. Many of them had tears in their eyes. A few of them said, you know, I've been homophobic my whole life. Never did I think that I could love and be such close friends with a gay man, but I could not deny my love and my friendship for you. Thank you.
And then it was time for uh, family. So um, my dad's side of family at Thanksgiving, you know, told them we popped bottles. It was amazing. And one of my aunts, she, you know, she changed the trajectory of my life. I told her first because I was I felt I was closest to her. We were in the family room by ourselves. Everybody else was, you know, upstairs. And I was beating around a bush telling her my story. And she stopped me and she smiled real big. And I'm, you know, got tears in my eyes. I'm like, what the, what the hell are you smiling at, lady? <laughs> this is not funny. And she said, I want you to say it. I'm like, huh? She was like, say it. And I'm looking at her like, what are you talking about? And then the third time, I got it. And she said, just say it. And I said, I'm gay. And I fell into her arms and weeped like a baby. That was the first time that I proudly, without hesitation, just said the words out loud um, uh, with no explanation behind it. Generally, before that, it was I'm gay and I'm gay because it was I'm gay full stop, period. And from then on, I proudly announced, hey, I'm gay, period. No need for explanation after that. I'm black. I'm a minister. I'm gay. End of story. And then uh, the story slowly started getting out to my mom's side of the family. I didn't have to tell anybody. And I had a group of aunts. We're a big, big, big family. My grandmother had 14 kids, 10 girls, four boys. And the majority of the aunts called me on the conference line and, you know, they were reading me the business. This is not right. You're a man of God. You know better yada, yada, yada. Have you told your mom? You better tell her or we're going to tell her. And I was like, oh my God, not only are you harassing me, but now <laughs> you're going to out me. And um, I was trying to wait to the last day I was in town to tell my mom, but I was forced to tell her earlier than that. And it didn't go well. You know, she was very, very upset, had some very, very harsh words to say. Uh and it left me distraught. It left me void. It left me empty. It left me very, very hurt. And it took me a long, long time to get over it. That was in 2015 or 2014, rather. And then because I spent years condemning, and this is the last piece of it all, the, the LGBTQ community, I said, well, if I ever fall in love, I couldn't just show up on Instagram with a boo. Um, you know, I have to, you know, explain now why I am out and proud. And so Be Me was having a messaging campaign called Hashtag Black Men Love, where we were sharing stories all across the uh, internet um, in the news space about what Black men love to do, family, career, uh, ministry, mentoring, giving back. And my team said, well, why don't you share your story? And at first I was hesitant, but then decided to, and I came out on the root.com with an article entitled the same as my book, I'm black, I'm a minister and I'm gay. And, um, you know, it was, it was turmoil after that, you know, I've received hundreds and hundreds of death threats and messages and hate mail and, you know, you're wrong, you're this, you're that. But I also received hundreds and hundreds of love notes and messages from people who are struggling with the same thing. And that made me know that I was on the right path. But because the the pressure was just so heavy um, and the criticism was so heavy, you know, my friends was like shut down from the Internet, log off. And then I left 
the country um, and went to Medellin, uh, Colombia on an excursion with a group of civic leaders from Miami. And Medellin uh, is, you know, uh, Pablo Escobar, all of that was there. And, uh, you know, it's very wealthy in some areas, very poor in some areas. And, and you know, we were in the mountains and right next to this great technical innovation center were homes that were made out of whatever people could find, cardboard, metal, sheetrock, whatever. And there were these kids and they were very, very, you know, happy, but they, you know, didn't have shoes. They were dirty. Their clothes were mismatched and dirty. They were a little smelly, but they were having a marvelous time playing with a deflated ball. They wanted to play with us. So they threw the ball to me. I threw it up in the air because I wanted to give them some money. Um, so when they came to me to get the ball, I gave them money. They left the ball, took the money. And I was like, wow, well, I guess they don't need this ball anymore. And to my surprise, one of them came back with a new friend who wasn't there. And they had put their hand out for me to give them money. And I gave them money and they took the ball and ran. But that little act told me that I've made the right decision, that for years I lived a very gruesome experience. For years, I did not love myself because I thought that I was a mistake and I thought that I was going to hell. For years, I thought God had cursed me. For years, you know, I, I had double issues. I was a black man in America and I was a gay man in black America. And I found a revelation that set me free. And I found um, a, 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 a love that set me free. And so I felt like I had an obligation and a right to go free some other people, just like the little boy went to get um, his friend um, to get money. Um, and so, you know, those were like my coming out process, uh, which led me to where I'm at today. What a beautiful story. And I really appreciate you sharing that journey. I mean, just to, to go back a little bit, what, what, you know, I understand because you talked about feeling, uh, you know, teary-eyed a little bit. When you talked about the love that you got from your friends, from the pastor, from the, the, the men's group, from the, the line of men who stood up to, to hug you and let you know that you're, you're more than, uh, you know, being gay like you are my friend first, I got your back first, to your aunt, you know. Um, I, I, I want to highlight that because so many people are loved and supported, but don't, but don't realize it. They mm. don't realize how many people in their life, how many people that they're surrounded by care about them, think about them, want to do things for them, want to assist in some type of way. But because we haven't done our part in showing up and being vulnerable and letting people around us know, you know uh, that we need help, or uh, to, to share aspects of us that we might be ashamed of, th then they can't, uh, they can't show up as them full selves to our friendship, our relationship, and in our experience. So uh, I applaud you, and I really want to thank you for sharing that part. And I also know that you, know, you are a member of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. What was that relationship like and and how have they helped you in feeling that solidarity first of all oh six yes <laughs> i am a member of the first and the finest uh black fraternity um in the entire world um well first i have to say that 
um, back to your original point. And I learned this watching a TV show, uh, Being Mary Jane, where her co-anchor, you know, was hiding being gay. And, um, you know, he was using her as a beard. And a beard, for those who don't know, is a woman who pretends to be someone's girlfriend or who really is someone's girlfriend, but it's just for show. It's not real. Um, and so uh, on the show, he was coming out to his parents and his dad and his mom were very disappointed in him and said, how dare you deny us the opportunity to love the real you? How dare you deny us the opportunity to know the real you? What would make you think that we would not accept you? And so a lot of us project how people will receive us based on previous experiences. Since this person rejected me, then the next person rejected me. It happens even in dating. Since this person hurt me, the next person will hurt me. We have no idea. Um, and life is all about risk and being vulnerable. And if we don't take risks and we aren't vulnerable, you know, uh, I strongly believe what's for you is for you. And I had to grow to get to that place and talking about not being ready for stuff. I had to grow to get here that whoever's going to love me will love me. Whoever don't just won't. Whoever's going to accept me will accept me. Whoever doesn't just won't is just wasn't meant to be. And so um, the same thing happened with um, uh, um, Alpha Phi Alpha. I wanted to pursue the house Alpha in college, but I was at a meeting and this guy was like, yeah, well, we don't do any of that gay stuff. And I was like, oh, well, that's the end of my journey because I don't want anybody to find out that I'm gay. And then, you know, whoop my tail and, you know, it'd be a big issue. So uh, did not pursue. It wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles and I met uh, this guy who was a minister as well and also in the business. And we became friends and I was talking about he was a, he's an alpha and I was talking about my journey and why I didn't pursue. And he began to tell me about uh, the chapter here in Los Angeles, Mu Sigma Lambda, um, Baldwin Hills um, chapter. And uh, uh, he's like, we, we, we love and accept you for who you are. He was like, you don't have to worry about any of that. And so I, you know, pursued and crossed spring 21 music Lambda. And, you know, during my uh, interview, I came in, you know, uh, guns blazing, like, Hey, this is who I am. Um, no longer, wanting to be a part of something that does not want me. And so, uh, and it was all a part of facing everything that I hid from simply because I was afraid people would find out I was gay. Acting's one of those things as well. You know, I stopped acting because I realized the, the theater and artistic space is very queer. And I was like, well, I don't want people to automatically make those assumptions about me. So I quit and acting is my passion. And after I came out, I started acting again and people were like, I had no idea um, you were an actor and you were this good. Um, and it led me to move to Hollywood and pursue acting um, full time. So uh, once you start living in your full truth, you will begin to uh, be uh, reacclimated, reattached or discover the things that 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 bring you real peace, joy and happiness. Man, I, I love all of that. And, and congratulations for finding your way back to acting, back to, to one of your true loves. And, uh, and I know you're also, uh, you know, you're a social entrepreneur, you're an activist, you're an actor. What are there any books that you're reading that you or that you've read 
that have uh, stood out to you, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, besides the Bible? Um, <laughs> is, is there anything else out there that you, you've picked up that you're like, man, I, I wish I had, I really love this book. I, I want to reread it or gift it to somebody or there's just some things that stand out to me. Yeah, um, The Alchemist is um, an amazing, an amazing um, book. It's a short book read it over and over um, every year about, um, you know, accepting now um, about walking in your truth and your power. And similar to uh, what we opened up with, accepting the parts of your journey. Um, uh, the Power of Now by uh, Eckhart Tolle, it really speaks to getting out of our minds. Like I said earlier, most of us live in the past or in the future, but rarely right now. Um, the success of um, Success Through Stillness by Russell Simmons um, is an amazing book uh, that really um, aligns tapping into the power of self and being so in tune with your own spirit. Most of us make decisions based off of outside factors and opinions and what people think and really don't tap into, you know, who we are. Um, and those have been, you know, the books that have spoken to me uh, over the years um, and have really impacted the life that I live and the decisions that I make. And then there's a bunch of advocacy books, um, uh, you know, that speak to current discriminations um, that we uh, need to be facing and, and talking about. Of course, um, uh, my idols and their books, President Obama, Michelle Obama, uh, Will Smith's new book, um, uh, uh, you know, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, um, you know, The Audacity of Hope. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I do a lot of reading and a lot of uh, audio books. Um, I'm actually working on my audio book, um, but those have been the books that have inspired me. Yeah, Michelle, my girl, we just got tickets to go see Will Smith do his uh, book reading. Where at? In, in L.A. Uh, I'll be there. Yeah, we don't know. Where is it going to be at? I forget. The Forum? I think the Dolby Theater. The Dolby Theater. You're absolutely right. Yeah, huge fan. I know, you know, you from Philly. Will, yeah. Smith, Will Smith is from Philly, so we all grew up on the Fresh Prince. Um, and so hopefully we'll we'll see you there. We'll, we'll exchange information after this. Um, absolutely. And then, yeah, I just got um, Barack Obama's and Michelle Obama's uh, new book. I wasn't going to get it, but I was like, every, but it, it, I got it used. It was at the bookstore. So I, was like, I cannot not get it uh, for $5. <laughs> I can't just let it sit right. there. Uh, <laughs> what are you looking forward to besides, you know, seeing Will Smith in a week? Um. I'm looking forward to, I've, I've currently experienced a hard patch uh, uh, in my life that I'm looking forward to getting past, um, daily dealing with it, heartbreak. Um, uh, you know, had some, some, some disagreements with people really close to me, which, you know, have most likely ended the relationships. Um, so really looking forward to healing. 
and getting past that. Many people, you know, glamorize their journeys and we look great on social media, but don't talk about the heartache tension and the heartache that comes with growth and transition and gaining and losing friends. And so it's been very difficult the last couple of weeks um, on top of having to perform, having to show up and do these interviews, having to show up and do book tours. I just got in from Portland, a book stop there. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting past that. Um, looking forward to... Uh, completing the audio book, um, you know, and what that will look like. Mean, everyone asks, and I'm like, it's coming. I, I had to get the book out first. Uh, and then looking forward to more tour stops in 2022. I believe that, you know, the doors will continue to open for this mess and authenticity. And I'll, you know, everywhere I go, I hear testimonies of how just simply acknowledging people's humanity um, has blessed them. And so looking forward to impacting many more hearts and minds. And then is there anything that we haven't talked about, Benjamin Carlton, that you think would be of value to the listeners out there who might be going through heartbreak or uh, wanting to come out or uh, those who want to pursue their dreams and, and, and maybe don't know how to find their path? Is there anything that, about your story, about your journey that you think would be beneficial to the listeners? Um, well, first of all, thank you for that. Um, until you bring your full self to the table, the universe can't um, give you everything that belongs to you. And so um, the more that you uh, entertain what's not real, the more you postpone what is real. You are focusing on a life that's not yours because you're living it based on other people. You are focused on passions that are not yours because they're based on other people's opinions. You are focused on love that's not yours because you're scared to love other people believe. My pastor and mentor um, who I've been talking about said, Ben, the greatest deliverance that you can have is from the opinions of people. And so the, the moment you move past living for others and you start living for yourself, you will see so many things change in your life. You will see those who are really for you. You will see those who are really in your corner. And all of the frustration and tension that you are or may have experienced is because it's not real. Whatever it is that you're trying to hold on to is not real. Anything that is maintained by a lie or a deception is not real and is not meant for you. The more you walk into your light, the more you walk into your truth, you will begin to find the strength of yourself. Many people look for God internally. I, I mean, externally, I look for God internally. I look for the God within me. I look for the power in me. I look for the love in me um, because that is where it is. That is where it resides. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't love anybody until you start loving yourself completely and being happy with who you are completely and being who you are um, in spite of people's opinions. And for a lot of the people of faith out there, I always would ask, who would you be if hell was not an option? If hell was not a factor, if you weren't threatened by spinning an eternity, who would you be? And most people are stumped because they've never really thought about it <laughs> because they've always let fear stop 
them. If fear is your motivation, if fear is stopping you, God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And that is what that is what takes us past all of these difficult times, this heartache. We we like to claim and 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 put possession on things that don't belong to us. I don't fight for anything that don't belong to me. I don't fight for anyone that does not want me. And I don't hold on to anything that does not serve me. We are our greatest enemy. We are our greatest hindrance. No one can stop us. No one can harm us but us. And we give people the power to harm. He who harms you controls you. I mean, he who angers you controls you. He who's toying with your emotions control you. We have to find total satisfaction and total relief and total content in who we are. Once we get there, everything else falls into place. Man, I appreciate you pulling the crates out for a few minutes and <laughs> letting the people hear the good word. Uh, last, uh, last two things. One is plug all your things. Where can people find you, reach out to you, connect with you? Absolutely. You can find me on the socials, Twitter and Instagram at IBenCarlton, I-B-E-N-C-A-R-T-O-L-O-N. I don't even know how I spelled my name right. <laughs> IBenCarlton. And you can find me on Facebook at Benjamin Carlton Live. But I absolutely want you to go visit my site, www.blacklovewins.com. That is blacklovewins.com. Com. And I named it Black Love Wins because after the huge Love Win campaign that got marriage equality passed, the major organizations in the LGBTQ space dropped the Black movement um, like a bad habit. And as most organizations do once they get what they need. And so I want to elevate the Black queer experience. And that's what I'm on tour for. Stand for love. Hashtag stand for love. If you look up S-C-A-N. F-O-R, love, you will see pictures from events that we've done. Um, and I'll close with this. Blackness, African-American Blackness, is the culture and the heartbeat of the world. Cultures all over the world, we've seen nothing like it, emulate and mimic Black culture. Hip-hop and R&B, acting, style, all comes from Blackness. The core and the heartbeat of blackness, black queerness. Who do you think came up with all those great songs in the church? Black queer people. Who do you think came up with all of these great TV shows and this great music we listen to? Black queer people. Who do you think came up with all this beautiful fashion and are styling our greats and they're changing the world? Black queer people. So black queerness is, in essence, the culture and the heartbeat of the world. Last question I have for you, Benjamin, is I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Benjamin Carlton? I would first ask them to take a really, 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 really deep breath and to think about the very thing that is causing them to feel like their life 
is not worthy of living. And find someone to talk them through that process of finding life outside of whatever that issue is. Because it may be dark, it may be hard, it may be painful. I've experienced it all. I've been on the brink of wanting to get out of here myself. But no matter how cloudy it is, the sun is still shining on the other side of those clouds. No matter how dark your day may be, light is coming. Light will come if you keep going, but you will never, ever experience the light of it all if you stop right now. And what is life if we've stopped at our trauma? What is life if we've stopped at our, our, our difficulties? What, if, what is life if we've stopped at our challenges? I don't want to get to the end of my life and see a big screen flash of what my life could be if I had just kept going. So at that current moment in time, if you're really at a place of thinking about this is it and this over, you clearly don't have the capacity and the vision to see your life outside of this. And it's so important that you get with someone, a friend, a professional, highly recommended, who can take you past this moment because your life is much more than this moment. Your life is much more than that mistake. Your life is much more than that hurt. Your life is much more than the trauma you're going through. There are people out here who will love you for you just for being who you are. You just got to find them. So don't end too soon. Don't end before the light comes. Find somebody who can take you and, and, and guide you to the light. And if you don't have any friends, there are a number of hotlines and services that are available to take you to that light. Thank you so much, Benjamin Carlton, for joining us today. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALKS. There's also the, the Trevor Project. Uh, it's the LGBTQ Youth Hotline, which is 866-488-7386. Uh, and there's a crisis hotline where you can text. If you can't talk, you can text. Just uh, text CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to 741741. And then we have international phone numbers in each and every single one of the show notes. If you're in Budapest, if you're in Bali, if you're in Vietnam, wherever you are, there's a suicide hotline for you. There's a chat. There's a group. There's someone there to hear your story that you can reach out to for free right now but you have to make that first step. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Thank you, brother.